Hi, welcome to this fresh teaching from Foundation Church Belfast. My name is David and I'm the pastor of Foundation Church. And today, as we look at the Bible together, I want to try and encourage you, uh, to challenge you and to hopefully equip you as we face these uncertain and challenging times together. Uh, we're going to be looking together at this Old Testament character called Gideon. And we met him last week and, and Gideon is uh, one of the judges in the early phases of Israel's history. What is a judge? Well, a judge is someone who, who God raises up to deliver Israel from her enemies, kind of like a mini savior. And, uh, and we saw the situation that Israel was in last week uh, from time to time. Uh, one of the, the other tribes that surrounded Israel uh, called the Midianites, they would swoop in probably around the time of harvest and they would um, take and, and pillage all the produce that Israel had been working hard to raise up that year they would take livestock they would take the wheat and um, this would happen time and again uh, year after year and Israel were were, were beaten down they were oppressed uh, they were demoralized and it says they cried out to God and God sent and raised up another judge by the name of Gideon but Gideon was not a a, a mighty warrior at that stage he's not a great leader in fact we find him God finds him uh, hiding away in the wine press he was threshing wheat uh, under the cover um, uh, of the wine press so that he would not get found out by the Midianites. Uh, and, but God found him, God spoke to him, and God gave him a new identity. He said, greetings, uh, O man of valor, man of strength, you know, man of victory, greetings. Uh, he not only gave him that new identity, uh, but he gave him a new mission. He says, now, go and save the people of Israel from the hand of the Midianites. And thirdly and finally, he gave him fresh confidence. He said, the reason why you're a man of valor, the reason why you will have success in, in your uh, military work is because I am with you. God is with you. I will strengthen your hand. I will bring you that victory. And so we might expect then, as we pick up the story from last week, we might expect that the next step is for uh, Gideon to pick up the, the, the sword, uh, to gather an army and go and take out the Midianites. But that's not what happens. In fact, as we, as we read, it turns out that God has um, other, other things in mind. It seems to be that before they take on the external, uh, the external battle, there's an internal battle that Israel must fight, that Gideon has been called to take on. There's a deeper issue. Um, there's an inner struggle that they must first overcome. What is that inner struggle? Well, it is idolatry. It is idolatry. It is the worship of idols. God says, remove your idols. And so here's the first teaching that we're going to see today. You cannot expect God's blessing whilst you're busy serving idols. You can't expect God's blessing whilst you're busy serving idols. Let me read to you from Judges chapter 6 where we get this story from. We'll pick it up from last week. That night the Lord said to him, that is Gideon, probably through a dream or a vision, take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, pull down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the Asherah pole that is beside it and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of the stronghold there with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah that you shall cut down. You know that the name Gideon means hacker or chopper. And uh, he was true to his name. He was called to hack down, chop down these idols. Kind of similar to uh, one of the Chelsea legends, 
Uh, if you're into football, a man by the name of Ron Chopper Harris. He was famous. He was given the name Chopper uh, because of his no-nonsense approach to tackling and defending. And uh, similar for Gideon here, Gideon the Hacker. Um, he was called to hack down the idols that, that belonged to his father. Um, the, the, the greater battle, the deeper battle that he was to face before he took on the Midianites. Um, what was Baal and what was the Asherah pole? Well, uh, Baal was a familiar, well-known god, of a, a pagan god of the surrounding uh, tribes in the ancient Near East. And Asherah was a, a fertility goddess, often represented by a pole. And the two of them came together, kind of like a, a pagan husband and wife, uh, Baal and Asherah. And uh, both of these were possessed and purchased by Gideon's father, obviously a man himself, a man of worth, a man of influence. And his, uh, Gideon's first calling was to take these things out, chop them apart, and, and show without a shadow of a doubt that Yahweh, the God of Israel, is God. Build an altar to him on top of the dead bodies of Baal and Asherah. That's what you ought to do. And it says later on that Gideon was afraid. He was afraid of the repercussions because he realized that uh, these, the, these gods, these, these idols, possessed power. They had a, an influence over people. They held sway over the people. And if he was to hack them down, then there would be repercussions. Maybe as you're listening to this and, and you're hearing the story of this, uh, this calling to hack down, to chop down uh, Asherah poles, you're thinking of primitive peoples and, and, and dancing around a totem pole. And, and we can think to ourselves as modern Western people, this, this, is, this is so far removed from our own culture. We don't have idols like that. We don't have Asherah poles in our back garden that we dance around and, and uh, sacrifice to. But let's put pause on that for a second because the Bible uh, shows us that when it comes to idols, it's not just a case of wooden structures or metal structures um, that people sacrifice to. In fact, an idol, uh, even, even in the ancient Near East, an idol is, is, is simply a representation of a god or goddess. Uh, so they, they never thought that the, the thing itself was the god or goddess, but simply a representation. If you wanted to worship the god, um, you, you, you do sacrifices for the idol. If you wanted to um, sacrifice or, or, or bow down to the god, you would bow down to the idol. It was like a representation, an image of the god. Um, and the idea being that uh, the God itself uh, would provide you favor if you worship him or her, uh, would provide you protection, would provide you peace or success or whatever blessing it is that you need if you, if you worship it. And we think to ourselves in today's Western society, well, that's so very primitive, that's very narrow. We don't have that in today's technological society. We have knowledge. Um, but let's just think for a second or two. Just, be, just because we don't have those structures on every street corner does not mean to, today that idols do not exist. In fact, if we, if we take the Bible seriously, it shows us that um, an idol can be made out of anything. Anything in the heavens above or on the earth or in the water under the earth uh, can, can turn, be turned by us into an idol. What is an idol um, for us? Well, an idol is something that we, we can uh, look to for security uh, look to for peace, look to for that protection and blessing, just like in the ancient Near East. So here's, here's how you tell whether uh, you have an idol or whether those around you um, have an idol in their lives. Here, here's what to look for. What is it that you personally look for for security? 
or, or think of it like this, what did you what do you give your devotion to, your worship to? What will cause you to sacrifice your time and your money and your energy for? What would complete your life? Put it like this, what would complete your life if you had that thing, that person, that relationship? What would complete your life in your mind? Or on the flip side, what would make your life worthless if you lost it? You see, an idol for us, or for anybody for that matter, doesn't necessarily need to be a destructive or addictive thing or, or even uh, associated clearly with the dark forces of evil. Because for many of us, an idol can be something good, something ordinary, something right, but is elevated to the place of a god. Something good becomes a god. That's when it's an idol. And it can be a good thing, such as family or, or our children. You know, when, when, when they occupy a position uh, within our thought life um, of power, of influence, that if they're happy, if they're successful, then I'm happy, I'm successful. I have peace, I have security. It might be for others of us, it's our career or making money that we prize and cherish above all things. Maybe it's an achievement or critical acclaim if we are um, in, in scholarship or research. Uh, maybe it's approval in a romantic relationship. If I have that person, if, I, if I'm in love with them, if they love me, then I've got everything I need. There is my peace. There is my security. Maybe it's in a certain competency or a certain skill that we, we, if we have that, if I can have that ability, then everything is fine. Maybe it's behind a great political cause or a social cause. Maybe we find an, um, turn an idol out of our beauty or our power or our brains or our moral virtue. Take, for example, the sad story of Lance Armstrong. He at one time was considered to be the most successful cyclist in cycling history. He won multiple Tour de France's alongside other cycling tournaments. He was the best. But as his story went on and as the accolades continued, the bad news started tumbling out about Lance Armstrong, that he had got his success through cheating. He'd been taking performance-enhancing drugs. No doubt he was a wonderful athlete, but that alone was not enough. See, for him, success was his idol. Winning would come for him at all costs. He would bend the rules. He would look the other way. He would take performance-enhancing drugs so that he could win. Because for him, if he could win, if he could have that success and that adulation, then his life was complete. Then, then everything that he had uh, would give him that satisfaction. But look at how that idol controlled him and look at how it eventually brought him down to nothing. And if you're a pastor or a church leader listening here, you know your church can turn into an idol. Your church growth can turn into an idol. Success in ministry can turn into an idol. Even your influence as a church or your influence as a leader, that itself can become an idol. Something that you work towards that owns you, that you want above all things. But back to the story for a second. Don't forget that this was Israelites. This was God's own people. They had not forgotten the stories about God. Gideon made that clear. We saw that last week in, in chapter, two, uh, chapter 6, verse 13. They knew about his stories. They knew about all of his wonderful deeds of former generations. And yet they took these idols in alongside Yahweh, alongside their own God. Externally and formally, perhaps they were worshipping Yahweh, the God of Israel. But internally, functionally, they were worshipping idols. And God said, 
you must destroy these idols before the blessing comes because you cannot expect God's blessing when busy serving idols. American pastor Tim Keller says that this is how spiritual renewal often begins by a, a ridding of idols, an identification and a ridding of our idols, clearing the way for the Spirit of God to do marvellous work. Let me read to you, though, this, this blog post I came across recently from another pastor called Ray Ortland. He writes this. He says, you and I are not integrated. We are not unified whole persons. Our hearts are multiply divided. There is something like a boardroom in every heart. Big table, leather chairs, coffee, bottled water, a whiteboard. A committee sits around that table. There is the social self, the private self, the work self, the sexual self, the recreational self, the religious self, the childhood memory self, and many others. The committee is arguing and debating and voting, constantly agitated, always upset. Rarely do they come to a unanimous decision. We are just like that. We tell ourselves it's because we are so busy with so many responsibilities, but the truth is we're just indecisive. We're held back by small thoughts about Jesus. A person in this condition, you see, he says, can accept Jesus in either of two ways. One is to invite him onto your committee. Give Jesus a vote too. But then he's just one influence among many. This way of inviting Jesus is common here in the Bible Belt, or in Northern Ireland, we could say. But it isn't Christianity as defined by the New Testament. The other way is to accept Jesus and say to him, my life isn't working. Please come in and fire my committee, every last one of them. I hand myself over to you now. Please run my whole life for me. Show me that it works. This is not complication. This is salvation. Accepting Jesus, he finishes uh, by saying, is not just adding Jesus. It is subtracting all the idols. Friends, we cannot expect God's blessing when we are busy serving idols. We can't have both. We're just using God if we try and do that to get what we want rather than worshipping him. So I wonder as you, as you listen to this, what is God pointing out in your life right now? What has an overarching grip on you, influencing you, controlling you? What are you holding on to in your life? What is restricting you? What is preventing you from receiving the blessing of God? Because you cannot expect God's blessing when you're busy serving idols. Welcome back to this second part of our teaching. And now we're going to be saying this, that cutting down our idols is a painful process. Cutting down our idols is a painful process. Gideon felt that. And if you want to know the blessing of God uh, upon your life, then you will also know, need to know not only the necessity, but the pain of cutting down idols. Well, Gideon in the story uh, goes through with the plan. He uh, hacks the, uh, the Asherah pole to pieces. He, he desecrates the 
the altar to Baal. And on, on that combination, he builds a new altar. He uses the wood um, to, to create flame. And he offers a burnt sacrifice to Yahweh, declaring uh, in no uncertain terms that Yahweh is God. He is the God of Israel. There is no other gods. There is no other idols. Every other idol is a lie. Every other idol will suppress and, and destroy you. God alone is the God of Israel. And the people of the town were incensed. They were enraged. They came out and said, bring out uh, your son Gideon. He must die because he has broken down the altar of Baal and he has cut the Asherah down beside it. Why do they want his blood? Why don't they just say, oh, well, sure, it was just an idol? Why the reaction? Well, Gideon had quite literally cut down their saviour. He had destroyed their deliverer. He had hacked their God down. He had mocked him and proclaimed that Yahweh alone as God. They responded, the, the townspeople responded like that because their idols were attacked. And it's no wonder, is it? Because in those idols and what they represented, the people of this particular tribe found their hope, found their security, found their identity even. And when Gideon hacked them to pieces, all that stuff was gone. They, 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 were, they were vulnerable. It was a painful process. They felt that life was quite simply not worth living if these idols were removed. Suddenly their control mechanisms were gone. Their security, their safety was all literally up in smoke because Gideon had burned it. See, they hadn't discovered the true God. They hadn't discovered Yahweh. Even though they knew him, knew about him, they hadn't discovered him. Because if they had, the people of Israel would have found him fulfilling. If they would have failed him, they would have found him forgiving. Unlike the idols that enslave and demand, God isn't like that. Yahweh is not like that. They hadn't come to see Yahweh as truly good, as goodness himself. They hadn't come to see him as dependable, as the one that they cry out instantly to save them. They hadn't seen Yahweh as the one who is able to deliver them from their enemies. They forgot Yahweh. And their hearts instead clung to other idols. You see, we all have idols in some form or other. That's the reason why we sin in the first place, because we love something more than we love God. That's why we sin. And we need them to be removed if we are to experience the blessing of God. We can't know the blessing of God whilst we're busy serving idols. And it hurts to remove idols. It, it is painful to remove idols. Cutting down our idols is a painful process, tearing ourselves away. But it is a necessary process if we are to know the blessing of God. Often people, uh, like the townspeople in Gideon's day, often people respond in one of two ways. When their idols are threatened or cut down or removed or, or toppled from their location, uh, people may become aggressive like these townspeople, hostile, defensive, angry, go down that route, or can go in the other direction. Because when the idols are gone, or, or, or toppled, or undermined in somehow, people can become despondent, or drained, or depressed. They become passive, devastated, because their source of security, their peace and hope has been removed. This is what happens, folks, when our idols are pointed out or shaken or exposed or challenged in some way. Here's an example. 
um, for example, if, if during the aging process, as we get older, we may find ourselves becoming increasingly depressed and even devastated at the signs of aging in our bodies because we used to be beautiful. That used to be the thing that we clung to for our identity and our security, our beauty. It was powerful. But when that starts to fade away, as it inevitably will do, we become devastated, we become depressed, we start sacrificing all, all of our money to try and regain that beauty that we once had. Well, here's another example. Maybe you miss out on that job opportunity that you looked to and considered to be the thing that would get you that peace and get you that security if you had it, if you possessed that job or that title. But you miss that job opportunity and instead you go into overdrive mode. You overwork. You sacrifice your time, time that you should be spending with your family and loved ones in order to gain another promotion or gain that respect that you feel like you were lost. Maybe you had a, a breakup from a, a romantic relationship. And yes, that is painful. Yes, it is uh, sad when those things happen. But months later, you are still in the depths of despair and depression with no signs of recovery because you have lost that thing that you thought would provide you life and security and significance and identity. And when that relationship ends, it feels like your life is ending. We all have, you see, idols and they manifest themselves in various ways. But when they are shaken or toppled or hacked down, we respond in these ways. These idols lurk, you see, in the dark corners of our hearts. They blend in. We often don't know they're there until they get threatened or taken apart. But you see, it is so necessary for us to deal with the idols of our hearts because even though cutting down our idols is a painful process, God's blessing cannot come unless we deal with our idols. No amount of idolatry is okay. Israel found that out. You can't have God and other idols at the same time. God will not tolerate sharing glory with anyone else. He alone is God. Everything else is his creation. He will not tolerate, he will not share that. No amount of idolatry is okay. As soon as they are discovered, detected in our hearts, we must take every opportunity to hack them down, tackle them, remove them. Because only then can we know the blessing of God in our lives. How can we as a church hope to move forward if we're not tackling the idols that exist in our lives? or even within our church. And what about you, as you look and as you listen to these things? Why don't you ask yourself right now? Ask God to highlight idols in your life, idols in your heart. Ask him to give you the power to do something about them, not just to identify them, but power to remove them, power to hack them down like Gideon the chopper power to hand them over so that God might take his rightful place because it's only when God is in control of your life that blessing will come. Maybe you need to get alongside others in your community in order to help you do that. It is difficult to hack down idols on our own. 
It is through confession, through sharing, through accountability, through loving, grace-filled gospel community that we can best tackle our idols, not on our own, but we can say to our friends, to to our fellow uh, members of our church, brother, sister, help me. Here's something that I think God is identifying in my life. Can you help me? Can you get alongside me? Can you pray for me? Can you help me to deal with this practically? I think this idol has control of my life. It is exerting more influence than it should, more influence than God does. Help me. See, that is the joy of, of being in gospel community. And if you're not part of a church community already and, and you'd like to be, we'd love to get in touch with you. We'd love to connect with you at Foundation Church. Drop us an email, uh, contact us through social media. We'd love to connect and, and help and serve you in any way we possibly can at Foundation Church. Maybe you need to come on your knees before God and say, Take back control, Lord. That relationship has taken too much of me. My, my hunger and thirst for success in this particular area of my life, in my studies or in my work or whatever it happens to be, has owned me. I turn away from that. I, I confess my love for this idol, which is greater than my love for you. God, save me. God, free me from the oppression of this idol. See, cutting down an idol is a painful process, but it is the path to the blessing of God. But there is good news. There is good news because when you pray that prayer and you ask for that help and you seek that power, God can and will provide it. We'll look at that in part three. Well, this is the third and final part of our teaching. We've seen, first of all, that you cannot expect God's blessing when you're busy serving idols. And number two, we've seen that cutting down our idols is a painful process. But thirdly and finally, I want to end with the good news. I want to show you how to deal with our idols because you can deal with your idols. There is a power available to you so that you can chop down these idols and receive and enjoy the blessing of God himself. How do we do that? Well, we were reminded by Ray Ortland and his blog post earlier on that it's not enough to simply accept Jesus uh, to become one voice among many around the committee table of our lives. Jesus isn't just one extra voice. He shouldn't be one extra voice. Not only should we accept Jesus by faith, but we should fire everybody else on the committee in our hearts and minds. You know, John Calvin, the famous reformer of the 16th century, said that the human heart was an idol factory just constantly churning them out. On our own, that's what happens. That's what we are predisposed to. Without God's help, we just keep clinging to anything other than God for help. But here's the good news. It was prophesied by the great prophet Ezekiel many centuries ago. He wrote, he said this. This is God speaking to his people. Uh, Ezekiel 36. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you and I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I'll give you a heart of flesh. God will do it. He will remove the idols from our hearts. He will remove the idol from your heart if you ask him. How will he do that? Well, he does that through the gospel because, you see, there was one after Gideon who came, another son who was called by God for a great work of salvation. But he did a greater work. You see, he didn't just chop down an Asherah pole. He came to rid our hearts of their idols. 
He came not just to offer a bull as a burnt sacrifice like Gideon did. He came to offer himself as a sacrifice once and for all time, profound, deep, of infinite value. When Jesus came and gave himself on the cross in place of us for our sin. And when he rose again on the third day, he achieved a greater salvation of everlasting effect. And that is yours and that is mine through faith in Jesus Christ. The promises of God through Ezekiel, I will cleanse your heart of their idols, can be yours through faith in Jesus Christ. That's where the power comes from. And you see, when you realize what Jesus has done for you in the gospel, when he gave himself for you, when he took the the punishment of our sin upon himself, when you realize that he did that for you, when he came to cleanse you from your idols, then that changes your whole outlook on life. That changes how you see yourself because you realize how God sees you. It changes the way that you look for hope and security outside of God. It changes the way that you look at your idols. They become insignificant when, when you realize how beautiful and amazing and wonderful God is through Jesus Christ. So much more than anything your idols can produce in themselves. When you see what Jesus has done, your false hopes will be exposed. When you realize that he rose from the grave, he proves that he can be trusted fully. He can be depended upon. He is the one who will never leave you or forsake you. Your idols will only oppress you and crush you and own you and and, and remove all of your life, all of your joy. Jesus is the only one who, when you give yourself to him fully, will give you life. He will give you joy. He will give you forgiveness. He will give you acceptance. You will know the love of the Father through faith in Jesus Christ. A love that will never be taken away from you. That is the good news of the gospel. That is why we at Foundation Church do what we do. That's why we are gospel-centered. We place that good news at the heart of everything we do. Because you cannot expect God's blessing when you're busy serving idols. And yet Jesus has come to remove those idols from our hearts and give himself to us freely and fully. Let's pray. And if you want to receive Jesus and receive the benefits of what he's done, you can pray these things with me. And if you want to say amen afterwards to yourself or or just inside quietly, you know, you can do that. That's fine. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your love for us. I thank you for your love for me. Forgive me for looking for identity and salvation and satisfaction outside of you. I've looked to other things and they have only turned and caused me harm and crushed me. Father God, forgive my sins. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that he is the greater Gideon, the one who came and gave his own life as a sacrifice. I thank you, Jesus, that you died for me. Please, I want to fire the rest of the committee in my life. Please come and take over. Be the chairman. Be my Lord. Be my saviour. Holy Spirit, come and apply the work of Jesus to my life. Grant me forgiveness. Grant me that peace. Grant me a knowledge of the love of God in me. Please fill me with your spirit, O Father, I pray. Amen. And if you pray that with us, 
I would love to connect with you. As I've already said, please do email. Please do find us on social media. We'd love to connect and serve you in any way we can.